Okay, there we go. All right. All right. So, Yuri, what's up, dog? Um, first and foremost, thank you for, you know, agreeing to be on a Protect the Culture podcast. Um, you know, I really became familiar with you, you know, even though we are, you know, men of Omega, I really became familiar with you through, you know, social media and a lot of the different things that you have been doing for the culture. Um, so when I had this idea to launch Protect the Culture podcast, I was like, I definitely got to get Yuri on here um, so we could talk about some of the things that that you are doing, because you're doing a lot. Um, I don't know if we'll be able to get it all in an hour, but um, this is definitely the start. If need be, we can always do a part two. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I was definitely uh, happy to support, man. It's like, especially, you know, I got your hoodie on right now. So, you know, yeah. that's that's part of protecting the culture, right? Is just Absolutely. Oh. Absolutely. So um, I've done a little bit of my own research about who you are. Um, but can you tell people a little bit about who is Yuri Robinson? Yeah, yeah. So no doubt, man. Um, Yuri Robinson. Um, I'm originally from Fayetteville, North Carolina. And I want to like highlight that point um, because one, I'm a military brat and um, that that has being a military brat like causes you to have to move around a lot. Right. To one, make new friends pretty quickly. Right. And uh, then in addition, just be used to traveling. So like I've always been used to just like picking up and going from there. Um, everybody's familiar with Fayetteville, by the way, and J. Cole, but like, there's, there's just been a lot more going on <laughs> with the yeah. city than just him, <laughs> but he definitely did put the, the city on the map. Um, one thing that Fayetteville has created, um, just from like that environment is a city full of hustlers. Like everything I did as a child had to deal with just like making some money because- wow. Most most parents uh, was military, so it's like they was on a fixed income. Not a lot of parents was no entrepreneurs, and so at the end of the day, if I wanted a new pair of kicks or a new video game, every now and then it might come. But aside from that, pops like you had to figure that out on your own. Like you gonna have to make your own money. So that's hey, man, where, like it's, it's crazy that you say that because my father was in the military too. My father's in the military for. 25 years man and when you talk about you know having to get it like you had to go and get it like I was the first generation like dad was able to build himself up you know in the military and got to that point but I was like the sacrifice child like I was the one where the struggle was happening like dad my pops lived in matter of fact he was in North Carolina for a little bit as well in Fayetteville I think he might own a house still out there if I'm not mistaken Okay. Um, we'll get into all that stuff later, but, um, he was there, he was in Georgia, Arkansas, like, so it's definitely a sacrifice. So did, did you move around a lot or were you just, um, for the most part, like I say Fayetteville, cause that's where I lived the most. Right. Okay, and gotcha. so, but I've lived in Fort Dix, New Jersey, I've lived in Korea, lived wow. in Maryland, Virginia. I was born in California I mean, it's kind of been just all over the place. <laughs> and wow. So, uh, yeah, that's dope. That's yeah. dope. What branch, what branch were your parents in? Uh, my pops was uh, Army. Um, Army, okay. My mom was just a housewife. She was, hold, she was holding it down pretty much while yeah. he was deployed and, and stuff like that. So she was keeping it straight. Yeah. It teaches you a lot, man. Definitely the social aspect of being able to make friends, man. That's big, especially when you're moving around like that. So you... 
in, in Fayetteville, North Carolina, you're learning all these entrepreneurial type of things, you know, learning how to hustle. Um, obviously, graduate high school. What high school did you graduate from? So I went to uh, 71st High School, which is like the only high school in the city that got a number <laughs> that's associated <laughs> with the, uh, with, it used to be called like the 71st District um, out there in, in Fayetteville, North Carolina. But, um, you know, it's a big, it's a big basketball school. It isn't really a big football school, even though they won like the state championship that like oh, year wow. after I graduated, like mm. when I was playing football, we was trash. But then all of a sudden <laughs> they got good. Like the next nice. year, I was like, dang. <laughs> so we graduated from 71st. All right. Um, then you go to, what is it? University of North Carolina, Wilmington, right? Yeah. Yeah. So like my, I specifically remember like in high school, I mean, college was an option. Right. But it's like, it wasn't really a thought per se. I, was, I really didn't know like what I was trying to do. So it wasn't in, until like through sports that like college was really an option. And so yeah. being Fayetteville, so I'm used to seeing Fayetteville State all the time. Like that's, <laughs> that's just the thing. Like Fayetteville State is in, you know, the city and um, HBCU is like what I was used to. And yeah. so as I became, you know, a student athlete through middle school, through high school, I became real good in track. And so it wasn't until like track that I really started getting like significant offers. Oh, and wow. so one thing I knew I did not want to do was like stay home. I was like, nah, like I'm getting, I'm getting out, getting of, out of here. Like <laughs> I could have went to like Cali. I would have went to Cali, but like Wilmington, North Carolina ain't too far away. And yeah. it's hindsight, hindsight's always 2020 to this day my largest regret is not going to HBCU. Like just hands down, that's like my largest regret. Cause like I literally went to school, no exaggeration. Like when I I got a scholarship to run track, but I looked at the demographics of the school. Like they had a computer science program, which I was interested in, but I was like, yo, it's black people here, but it's not like a lot of black people here. Cause I was like, yo, if I go to an HBCU, I might end up a daddy. So I was like, you know what? I'm I'm gonna focus on me, right? Yeah. And 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 just go from there. And it didn't even last long. Got to school like two weeks in and had a girlfriend. Like it, it was that just went out. But but so, yeah. so let me ask you this. Um now you was that the main reason that you went to, you know, um North Carolina Wilmington over at HPCU was just like the scholarships and stuff like that. Like what, what was the main reason for you kind of taking that path? Well, well, two of the two of the reasons uh, for for one, you know, they was offering a substantial amount of money, right? And uh-huh. so I was like, okay, like I can get down with this. Um, you know, a lot of student athletes when they're looking at uh, programs, I'm not gonna say I was more focused than most, but like I really knew what I wanted to do. So like when I was growing up, I played a crap ton of video games. Like all the stuff I used to get clothes um mostly clothes candy and stuff like that i won from playing madden and ncaa football right so i was like when i grow up i'm gonna develop video games right and so like i knew i wanted to get into the computer science like endeavor and so when i visited the school the computer science chair was like he was past enthusiastic about like the startup of their program like i ain't never seen a person so hype about like showing blueprints of a building and be like, yo, we about to do this. We about to code yeah. this. And I was like, 
all right, like dude enthused, like I, I like that, right? And so those were like two of the main reasons. But of course, like at the same time, like I said before, I, I know how it is to be around females. And yeah. so I'm like, <laughs> I, I ain't gonna focus on schoolwork. I need to focus on like school. If I'm trying to get a degree, Lord knows like, that's hey, just, it is what it, it is. It's, it's, it's crazy as we have this conversation, I already see the similarities because when, um, when I graduated high school, I went to a junior college first for two years. I played football and I ran track as well. Um, but I was a little, I was good in track. So we had an, um, a JUCO, we had a national four by one. We won nationals. So I was nice with the four by four, four by one. My individual was between the two and the four. Um, but I got recruited for football. Now my mom and my dad went to Morgan State. So mm -hmm. when it was, when the colleges started calling, I had UNLV, Penn State. I had a lot of these different big schools. I'm like, no, nah, I want to go to HBCU. And my mom was like, nah, she's like, because if you go, like, you ain't going to make it out after that first semester. Um, right. And I think it's more so because, like, you, you had a plan. I hear it already. It was like, yo, like, I'm like, I know what my plan is. I need to make sure I don't put my myself in those situations to kind of, you know, fall, you know, fall victim you know, to that. Um, right. Me, all I was worried about was sports. So mom already knew, like, yo, you go to this school, you're going to focus on sports. Grades is going to be, you know, another thing. Outside of, I probably just got my GPA for one semester just to come to Brez real quick, you know, right. just, just to do what I had to do. But I didn't want to be that bro. But um, now, nah, and the reason why I had asked you that about your two main reasons for picking, you know, the school that you went to was because it's a lot of, it's a lot of conversations now around, like, you know, um, people that look like us, you know, right. make it more of a commitment to go to HBCUs. But I know sometimes the money is a is a real conversation around like, you know, schools giving scholarships and this and that. So what do you say to some of the kids right now that are athletes, you know, that are like, yo, I want to go to an HBCU, but, you know, money, money is a real thing for me. Like, right. How would you kind of guide those conversations? Well, I think before you even get to like the kid, the, the student athlete, the non-student athlete, like it starts with the parents, right? And mm. so it, it's not my parents' fault that I didn't go to HBCU because for one, they didn't go to HBCU. Like they gotcha. didn't go into college until like later on. Like I was in, uh, I was in college when they was in college pretty wow. much. And and okay. so from from that perspective, if, if I would have had parents, right, that took me to homecomings every year, right, had me around uh, the Greeks, just had me around the football games, had me around the basketball games on a routine basis, like that wouldn't have been, not, that would have been the only option for me in my head. Gotcha. And my wife actually talk about that nowadays where it's like, you know, people say you can't groom your children into like a certain like type of way. You definitely can. Like, yes when I have kids, they, they, all they're going to see are HBCUs and they're going to be like, why would I, why do I want to go to university of like Florida or something like that? Like <laughs> they ain't even, they don't want to go to fam you, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So that's just one of those things where honestly it starts with the parenting first to like the exposure to it Yeah, the exposure and putting that, that mindset to it. And then I don't like what you said in regards to like the financial aspect, like that, that's a real killer of like HBCUs getting quality students, not to say that the people that are going to HBCUs aren't quality per se, but yeah. is that when, when that money comes, like money talks at the end of the day, like, and we, we probably don't talk about money a lot, but money controls everything. I don't, I don't yeah. care what 
people say. And so if it gets to the point where all of these HBCUs can offer full ride scholarships and start to be able to better their infrastructure, it's going to be easy for them to re recruit people, right? Yeah. So in addition to that, if my parents was just like, yo, you go to any HBCU you want, any HBCU you want, like, don't worry about the cost. Like, that would have been another factor into what school, you know, I went to. But if one school's offering half and one school's offering full, then it is what it is. So. Yeah. So when you were at, you know, University of North Carolina, Wilmington, um, you majored in computer science, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. What made you want to go into computer science? Was it was it just the it was just to create the video games? Well, like aside from that, like I used to build computers when I was young. Oh, okay. And so um like what started you off on that? Um I took apart a Nintendo and got in trouble. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's that's how it started. Like I wanted to understand like how it worked, right? Mm -hmm. And so uh yeah, I used to take apart like video game systems all the time. I just I just want to see what was inside the joint. I'm like, okay, I'm yeah. playing it, but like what's actually inside. And then uh just over time, like I've always had a fixation for technology. Like I've, I've always just been glued to it. And so mm. um, if, if anybody were to ask me, like I didn't have any other answer. I was just like, I like computers. I like video games. Like what else you want? What else you want me to tell you? Like, I didn't like, I didn't like math. I didn't like history. I wow. didn't like writing or read, even though I could read, but like, I don't like literature. Like, nah, show me where, show me where the video game's at. <laughs> wow. So it's, so when I think of computer science, I think of math, right? Is it a lot of math involved in it? Though? Yeah, yeah it's, it's actually a crap ton of math. Actually. That's what I'm saying. You say you don't <laughs> like it. How'd that work out for you? But, but what was crazy, and, and this is where the thing where like parental influences is a focus, right? So when I was in high school, my pops was like, okay, like you want to do computers, right? He was like, you need to be good at math and you need to be good at science. He was like, if you have bad grades in English, I don't care. <laughs> right like that's basically what I'm saying because it's like you know English you can get by just with like passing through but like you need to be super nice in math and science and so yeah. I was like bet so I was taking those calculus classes in high school and like wow. my, my senior year in high school I actually spent half of the year at a community college like just taking math classes so like when it came to actually applying to schools like my my uh my resume was actually pretty on point. You know? I, I hear it. <laughs> yeah. I hear it. Like I'm sitting over here taking notes, but I need to enroll my son in some things now. Like okay. Right. And, um, then, and then like on top of that, like even though math wasn't necessarily my thing, making money was. And so yeah. in order to make money, you gotta be good at numbers at the end mm -hmm. of the day. So like that kind of added on to it. So if I'm trying to make money for a pair of sneakers at foot action. And I'm selling candy, you know. I was in middle school and I already knew what margins were. Like, I'm oh, like, wow. all right, bet. I know, I know what profit I'm gonna make. You getting after it. Amount, I'm gonna get these new M ones and I'm set. <laughs> so I mean, so when you talk about, you know, you you're you're in school, you know, you have this hustling mentality already. Was this something that was like, you know, kind of introducing you from from your parents, where it was like, hey, these are some of the different things you could do to make money you know, instead of like kind of depending on us to do that. Because the reason why I ask is because in so many communities um, and our communities around the country, it's a lot of brothers like you that have that mentality, mm -hmm. but they're never really exposed to like the legal way to get it. 
Whereas so they're like, you know, they're supposed to the illegal way, which leads into, you know, dealing drugs, but they have a crazy, you know, mindset when it comes to dealing with things like that. So how did you really get into that aspect of, you know, kind of that, that hustler's mentality that you have? Well, yeah, like my parents aren't entrepreneurs in any way, shape or form, right? So it all came from my environment. One thing about my high school at 71st, um, it was a lot of gang activity like mm. in my school. And so um, one thing I did notice that everybody sold weed, like no yeah. question, everybody <laughs> sold weed. But at the same time, I would see people get jammed up and it mm. would either be like jammed up as in like the the cop and the dog is waiting at the locker, like waiting for you to get out the classroom. Yeah. Or, like somebody getting jumped at a bus stop. <laughs> and Give so me what you got. I was like, yeah, I don't really like any of those two scenarios. So I'm gonna figure something else out, right? And so yeah. it started with like everybody in the neighborhood is always cutting grass. So like mm. that's the first thing. And then selling candy, that's the second thing. And then I mean back then that's when Napster and lime wire and stuff was yep. popping. Yep. I was like, burn CD. Yeah, I was like DJ that. Clue. Like I had all the exclusives. You know what I'm saying? So, I I was already in high school with three streams of income. Like just figuring out like how to make it happen. And so, like if I wanted something, I could always put a number on it at some way, shape, or form. So it's like if I'm trying to get a new video game console, like basketball jerseys was just like popping back then so if i yep. want to get a basketball jersey i know i gotta sell this amount of candy cut this amount of grass this weekend sell a couple cds and i could get you know a jersey hindsight being 2020 i should have put that money in the market when i was in high school like <laughs> i would have hey, been paid i be thinking about that all the time because when i was in school we used to get um because i had a full scholarship i went to a division two school um Gannon university out in western pa but um we used to get refund checks. And as I sit here and I think now, I'm like, yo, if I would have known what I know, well, I'm still learning Project Alpha, but we'll talk about that later. Um, but if I would have known a little bit of what I know now, I would have put that into like Apple or Amazon when I was when I was in college. Because when I was in school, Amazon had just started coming out and we knew Amazon for selling books. That's all. Amazon right. didn't do half of what it does right now. Not Probably not even 90% of it. I was like, damn, man, if I just would have put like 10, two grand into it, I probably would be okay right now. And it, it is know? crazy because like, you know, as outside opens back up, that's actually, you know, one of the things I plan to do is to get out specifically to HBCUs, to get mm -hmm. out to black students and help educate them on the market. And it's crazy because like, I don't know if it's like, just because I'm not aware, but I feel like colleges aren't teaching college students how to get into the stock market. And I think one thing that, uh, COVID-19 did was expose the education sector for what it really is. It's nothing but a big daycare. Like yeah. that's all it is at the end of the day. And so, um, you know, tr truly learning things that matter in my opinion, like that's essential. That's one of the things to like protecting the culture is like teaching the things that are not in school. Cause yeah. I would say about, 60% of school is a waste of time. Like you just there because your parents ain't there. So that's what, that's what I wanted to ask you too. It's one of my conversations later, but it's a good segue into it right now is, you know, being, you know, a college graduate, but also being an entrepreneur and so many, you know, you got your hands in a lot of different things and we'll talk about it. Right. But do, would you still encourage your children to take that college route? Or if, or if your son or your daughter came and was like, dad, I just want to, 
you know, learn from you. I don't really want to go to school because one of the things I saw you post the other day was when you said, um, I think it was like a guy that came up to you or, or maybe it was a scenario. It was like, yo, how can I make a million dollars? And you was like, invest a million. But then I think it was like another post where it was like, um, you know, y'all went to school for four years, but you won't even take the time, you know, to kind of learn, you know, the investing skills. So right. Is, right. It, is, is that is the traditional college education still the route to go or is um, it, you know, some other things we could do now outside of that? I would say I would say it depends. So one thing um, kind of tying to the theme right, of protecting the culture is nepotism. Right. Like mm. people actually look at nepotism like it's a bad thing only because they're not the beneficiary of it. Right. Mm. Um, if you can put yourself in a position where your kids don't have to go to college, then what's the point? Right. And, wow. and so that, that's one thing to think about. And so that's something I think about, like whenever I have kids. Right. Like my goal is for them not to actually need to go to college. Like mm. if you're an 18 year old that graduates high school and you already got a business and you are handed down like a couple of real estate properties that's generating revenue. What's the point aside from the social aspect of it? Right. Got and it. so that might be one of the reasons like, OK, my kid going to go to a, a university <laughs> to one, promote his business. Right. Yeah. And two, to invest around the university because college mm. students got to rent. Like they don't want to. Yep. I campus. saw you talk about that before, too. Yep. Right. So like those are probably going to be the two main, it ain't even about getting a degree and to be the bros if they want to be, but yeah. <laughs> like at the, at the end of the day, like you got to figure out what the end game is. Right. So one of the the great books that I've read, even though I don't agree with a hundred percent of his views, right. Is the book rich dad, poor dad. Right. Mm. And so, you know, the, some of the premise of that book is like, okay, I'm going to school to go to college to get a job, to get money. Why don't I just go straight to the money? Like, why, yeah. why don't I just bypass all these steps and just get to the money? And it's a real conversation that yeah. like we as a people need to have. And as you start to understand various ways to get money, some people may be like, man, I wasted my time being in college. So, so it's my, really a choice. Yeah, as I, as I look at school, I'm just like, like I kind of think in the same way you do. Like when it comes to a lot of the business stuff, I feel like the, the value of a degree for a lot of people is, depending on what it is, is just to show you have the ability to learn at a higher level. Um, right. But it's like, for me personally, like I went to, I, I'm a college graduate as well. I graduated with a sports management and marketing degree. I'm not in my field. Like I'm a full-time <laughs> recruiter. Like that's what I've been doing for the past eight years. So, right. and, and my world is like, if I can somehow teach my son or my daughter, you know, how to have those skills outside of college, then I would rather them take that route, which is why like, I'm trying to learn a lot of different things. But I feel like there are some things you need to go to school for. Like if you want to be a lawyer, if you want to be a doctor, if you want right. to be an engineer, like there's some things you have to go to school for, but I just don't think we need to, you know, continue to make our kids feel like, you know, this is the only route because it's not. There's so many other things, so many other ways to learn. Um, so I appreciate that because I agree with you on that. Now, so we're at University of North Carolina Wilmington still, right? Yeah. Is that when Soko B started? When did you start Soko B? So uh, it's funny with that story. So like, yeah, so when I... um 
after after I crossed and became the bros, and for those on the podcast, the the members of Omega Sci-Fi Fraternity Incorporated, right? I, 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 so, um, one of my first road trips was back home, right? I went to Fayetteville State. Um, we was at like a council meeting where you know a whole bunch of different chapters from various universities all come to have a meeting. So after the meeting, you know, we're we're out there on the plot just hanging out at the grill, and there's this older bruh that shows up with a book bag. And I mean, he's been in the fraternity for a while. And so like mm. people know him and he had a book bag full of like beaded necklaces and they called him the bead man, right? Daniel Blathers, like good bro, mm. good bro. And so um, at, by the end of that night, cause we was out there until almost like 11 PM at night, right? All the beads was gone and he had a backpack full of money, right? And I was <laughs> like, I peeped that. Like, I, if I don't peep anything in an environment, yeah. I'm going to peep who's getting money, right? That's one thing I'm going to find out, right? And so uh, it was like a couple, uh, you know, months later, graduation's about to come. I seen him at another road trip. And I'm like, yo, I see I see what you're doing out here in North Carolina. Like, I'm moving up to the D.C. area. I was like, do you mind if I do the same thing? Because it was all out of respect. Like, mm. if he would have said, no, nah, no, nah, I don't want you to do it, I probably wouldn't have did it, right? Yeah. But he was like, no, nah, I saw good. He was like, do your thing, man. He was like, I can see you're an entrepreneur. And one thing that he said that I always remember is there's money everywhere, right? And so I was like, bet. And so, like, the second I moved up to D.C., I started finding supplies, started figuring out. Like, I never asked him how to make a necklace in any way, shape, wow. or form. Like, I just figured it out, right? And so, like, those first couple months, I had some janky necklaces. I didn't even go alive. Like, <laughs> I'll tell you, I've been there. <laughs> right, like, the quality has gotten much better now. But, um, yeah, it started with one and literally, like, flipped to the point of, now, it, you know, it's an online business that, you know, has a recurring cash flow and just kind of going from there. Wow. So, you know, I, I want to kind of speak to, you know, the entrepreneur that may be second guessing herself right now. You say, you know, you moved up here to D.C. and it was like, you know, I'm going to just start it. I'm going to just go. Right. Mm -hmm. Do you think that is a good way, you know, for people that are, you know, inspiring business owners? Because sometimes people could just, you know, want to be 100 percent perfectionist. Like, I'm not going to start it until it's perfect and I got everything, you know, cut out. You know, would you give them that advice? Like, just. Just do it. Mm, um, I, I would say, well, for one, like every every entrepreneur I've ever met, it doesn't matter what sector I, I'm in. Um, when I ask them like, yo, what's, what's your words of advice? I've heard one recurring thing and I've heard a second quote that I'll never forget. <laughs> one recurring thing is just start. Like it don't matter, just start. You know, yeah. you're not gonna get experience until you start. The other quote I heard was, you know, if you're trying to be an entrepreneur and you need encouragement, you don't need to be an entrepreneur. Like mm. you need to encourage yourself. Like, and Absolutely. that's it because nobody, you should be under assumption as an entrepreneur. Like nobody is going to support you. Like you have to put everything on your back. And then the ones that are going to support you, like those are the ones that were there originally anyway. Like they're going to support you regardless. And so there's, there are some people I know um, that have known for over 11 years that I've sold beads, never bought beads from me. And yeah. I'm not even like, I'm not even mad about that. Right. Because like, it's just not meant to be, but I'm going, I'm going to find somebody that got my money. You know Absolutely. What I mean? So like, that's, that's, that's what I tell, that's what I tell people. I'm like, you know, <laughs> being an entrepreneur is cool, 
you know, it's, it's great when you can figure it out. But one of the things that I always follow, even with Coach Lee Focus, is like, it's my vision. And the vision was given to me for a reason. So it's like, I can't expect, you know, other people to understand what I'm doing or why I'm doing it. It's like, yo, that vision was given to you for a reason. Knock it out and get it done. Um, so things yeah. eye to eye and, on that. And an- another thing tied to that, right, is <clears throat> for entrepreneurs, like, the main goal um, is you're going to be successful as long as you don't quit. You know, Um, I know a lot of people that have started various businesses back in like 2008 when all of us was in college. I think about people that started business in college. They ain't doing that same thing now. I'm I'm still selling bees 11 years later. And it is what it is. My quality has gotten better. I've just chosen to say, I'm never giving this up. So it's like, God willing, my children are going to be selling SoCo's beads at mm. some point, right? And so yeah. that's just one of those things where when it comes to protecting the culture, right? Like having a brand associated with you and don't don't let that brand die. Like you want yeah. people to talk about that brand way past your time, right? And just because I, I became a brand in 2007, so obviously I'm not at the super out cookouts like I used to be. Yeah. So, but at the end of the day, my beads is out there. Yeah. So like that, <laughs> that's what it's about. It's like understand who your customer base is and just continue to fulfill that need over time. Man, 100%. Consistency is the key. Mm-hmm. And since I've started Coastly Focus, a lot of people, you know, hit me up like, yo, how do you do this? How you do that? And I'm just like, one, like, your sales and what you're doing is going to be up and down. It's going to be some dark days. It might be some weeks you don't sell nothing. But mm-hmm. then that's when, you know, your vision kicks in. And then also, you know, understanding you got to be consistent. Because being in a retail business is like one of the hardest businesses to be in yeah. in the world. But um, once you show some consistency, people start to pick it up. Um, and then you got to kind of build a story around it, build a purpose around it as well. Um, so I'm with you there. So we graduate from University of North Carolina, Wilmington. I'm just about to start saying UNCW. Right. Um, nah, yeah. UNCW. <laughs> um, we got Soko Bees. You moved to the D.C. area. What's happening once you get up here in the D.C. area? Who Are, are, are you on the entrepreneurial floor? Are you working? Did you get a job? Yeah. So, so um, the funny thing of it, right, and this is what taught me that money kind of controls everything, right? So before I moved up here, right? I'm about to graduate with my computer science degree. And um, originally, right, I actually wanted to go to this school called Full Sail University out in Miami, right? Because they're known for, you know, computer graphics, audio engineering, all kind of things, right? So as I'm going through school, even though I'm running track, like I'm having fun, no question. Um, One of my boys went through an accelerated program down at Full Sail. Like he took student loans out, went down there, dude graduated um, in like 22 months and had a degree in audio engineering. So I'm in my junior year and he's DJing in Miami. And I'm just like, here we go. Living a life. (laughs) (laughs) So like that was was just like a whole nother thing. But um, as I was about to graduate, got all these interviews, nothing was hit. And I was just like, yo, like computer science degree, like what the heck? So, I went out on a whim and I spent a hundred dollars, right. Uh-huh. On uh careerbuilder.com, like made my uh-huh. little profile uh, yeah. platinum for like 30 days. Right. And 
two days in, into having a platinum profile, I had every top contractor in the DC metro area hit me up. Like, they're like, yo, yo, we see your resume. We come yeah. like, like this position, this position. They flew me out to DC. I had like 40 interviews. And by the time I got back, because I had to have like a track meet like the next day, by the time I got back, I had like three offer letters, right? Wow. And so I was like, are you telling me that's all I had to do was spend $100? And yo, yeah. I, I, I did that with LinkedIn before and had the same luck, yo. And I was like, yo, this is this stuff really works a little bit. So yeah. anybody that hears that, invest in yourself if you need to. Well, right. Yeah, go, right. Go ahead. Yeah. And so like when I moved up here, um, I started working for Lockheed Martin who's known for making um, like the, the air air force jets and stuff yeah. like that. And so, um, big know, boy job. When, that's a big boy job. Yeah. Yeah. That was a big boy <laughs> job. But what was crazy, what was crazy about that is like hindsight being 2020, like they got me for stupid cheap, yo. Like no one yeah. know now, like they, they, they get people that don't know anything about like just the job market in DC. So uh-huh. I'm coming from like Fayetteville, North Carolina, and you offer me a job for like 50k. I that's think like, that's bread. Like because yeah, down there you you living good with 50k down there. Right, right. <laughs> and so like I went from living in a three bedroom apartment for 900 dollars. So it's like we each splitting 300. Yeah. To moving up to the DC area paying two grand for an apartment. So I learned real quick like <laughs> the difference. I was like, hold up, yeah. yeah. Say, right. So once I moved up here, um you know, the, the only thing I had on my mind was uh, my fraternity and going out to the club, right? So for every Black professional that, you know, move up to the D.C. area, you know, at that time, it was like 2008, uh, the park was like the spot to go to, right? Yeah. It was just the, the classy joint where you're just going to see a lot of Black professionals at. I was in that joint Thursday through Sunday. Every, <laughs> every week, every week I was in that joint. Just, just blowing money, like have no business. They knew you coming through the doors, huh? Yeah, yeah, all, all day, right? <laughs> and so as as I'm just getting acclimated to the area, um, one of the specific things that got me into the stock market, right, um, was when I first took my job, I, you know, was signing all the paperwork, doing all the benefits and things of that sort. And I unknowingly um, signed some paperwork where like my raises and my bonuses would go straight into the stock of the company at a discount. Mm. Right. And so I wasn't even worrying about like no raise or nothing. And this is for like about two years. Right. I'm just like, yo, I got 50K. Like I'm, I'm good right now. Yeah. So roughly in like the 2010 timeframe, I get a letter in the mail and uh, it was like, yo, uh, this is just a status on your account. And I've gotten previous letters in the mail like this, but I never really like looked at it. Yeah. So I opened it up and I was like, yo, like this is your balance of your associated like stock. And this is what it is. So I'm looking at the number and I'm like, no, nah, this ain't real. So I call up like my benefits and I was like, yo, like, I'm looking at my statement and it, it was, it was roughly around about like 28 grand. Right. And stock, wow. Right. And I was like, yo, is this, is this real? They was like, yeah. I was like, um, I was like, I can pull this out like right now. They was like, <laughs> <laughs> and so I was like, pull that joint out. Right. So, <laughs> like, did you go, did you go to parks after that? <laughs> yeah. I, hindsight being 2020, I shouldn't have did that. But like, <laughs> You, you live and you learn. And so that 
that money that I took out, like it paid for the townhouse, it paid for the down uh, payment on my townhouse for my wife's uh, engagement ring because I held like money away for a while, right? Wow. Till I found the right one, right? Yeah, and yeah. So, um, but like after that, I was like, hmm, like I need to look into this. Like I need to understand what the stock market is. Like I can't be just like up and getting these like random checks. Like I thought more is gonna come and more never yeah, came. Yeah, it wasn't. <laughs> it's like you gotta you gotta invest some more now. <laughs> right, right. So like that's when I started to research um, just the stock market in general and just understanding all the terms, learning what just regular securities are, understanding what like things like options were and futures and things of that sort. And so over time, I had just been getting into, uh, you know, the stock market in general. And um, another kind of story tied to that was I was actually in Bitcoin around that same time. But this is a terrible story, actually. Right. That's here. We got to hear the good and the bad. Right. Right. And so (laughs) because because like I have a love hate relationship with cryptocurrency. And so Mm. when I was, you know, getting my degree, um, we had classes on all type of things, whether it was machine learning, artificial intelligence, um, cryptography, right? And so that's like some of the basis to the security of cryptocurrency. What, what, and, year, what year is this you started talking about it in college? So in, this was around like 2007, 2008, like okay. in those like realms, like the, the, yeah. the, the electronic money was always discussed, right? Mm. And so I don't think it was until like 2009 that actually like, I think Bitcoin actually like became like, there was discussion about it and like people actually started real trading. realistic conversation. Yeah. 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 And so I, I'm literally like in my, uh, in my apartment in Fairfax, Virginia. And back then the only thing that was, was Bitcoin. Like that was the only thing. Right. And yeah. you have a wallet, like it was hardware. Like it was either your computer or your computer. Like there was no app or nothing like that. Oh wow! So I literally used to trade Bitcoin just for like for like gas money right like that's that's how things were in back then like in order to get like an actual account like you couldn't get it through no like u.s bank like literally like scanning my debit card with like carbon copy paper and like (laughs) scanning it in and mailing it somewhere in like the netherlands or some shit like that wow to get an account right yeah so it was just like just a thing to do i'm like bet like I'm buying here. I'm selling here. I'll make 40 bucks here, 60 bucks here, or maybe $200 there. And it was straight and it wasn't nothing of it. So sometime in the, and I know there's a couple of timelines we're talking about, but I believe it was in like the 2011 timeframe. Um, there was this big scandal that happened with Bitcoin, right? So like how you see all these marketplaces nowadays and apps, most of the places that people got their Bitcoin was through this marketplace called Mt. Gox, right? Okay. And at that time, somebody bought that company that was not technical and like didn't know how everything worked and just messed it all up. And like, wow. no exaggeration, like it was about 70% of like the Bitcoin supply, like disappeared, like, like in the thin air. Right. And so like, I was yeah. pissed. Cause like, I'm like, yo, that's like, that's like my, my, my money. You know what I'm saying? Just my, my quick go, my quick go money. Right. Yeah. Like at the time, no exaggeration. I probably had like maybe like on a consistent basis, about 200 Bitcoin, right? Wow. And so uh, fast forward to 2021, I'm just like, 
Like, man, like what? Like, (laughs) and and so like you don't know what you don't know, though. Right, right. Like you don't know what you don't know, but it it taught me a lesson just about like you know never put all your eggs in one basket, um, just because you never know what's going to happen. And so like nowadays with everybody getting into crypto, it's cool to see, right? But at the same time, just like. I'm a little salty, like, (laughs) at the end of the day. I got some questions for you about that, because we're going to do some rapid fire questions, but I got some questions for you about that. Um, But as you're talking, you're talking about stock and investing now, right? Um, You had the Project Alpha community, um, which I'm a proud partner of, you know. know, Well, let me not say partner, I'm a proud member of the Project (laughs) Alpha community. Um, And I'm learning, um, because for me, to be honest with you, I had saw I, I I was never really exposed to like stocks and investing and stuff like that. Um, but 100% transparency when all this stuff started happening with crypto, I didn't know what was going on, and I'm just like, yo, like I need to figure this out, but I need to figure it out the right way because I'm not just trying to throw my money into it, um, right. but I also wanted to figure out how to start making my money work more for itself outside of, you know, just trying to wing it with a Robinhood account, um, right. you know, just randomly. So right. I remember I, I I hit you up on message. I was like, Doug, I need to learn. Yo. I need to learn about it. He was like, I got you. Um, so join the Project Alpha community. Um, and I haven't finished the full course yet, but like I was very impressed to see like the full course and then the quizzes at the end too because right. there's a couple of times I was like well shit I gotta go back and really <laughs> what the question was you know and learn and like really get into it and um and it's really kind of like it's, it's really well put together you did that all by yourself right or did you have somebody yeah no nah, like I, I put it all together myself and the reason I had started all this together was because yeah. um I've been in I've been in many communities, right, where folks are talking about real estate, talking about investing, talking about any type of way to, you know, become an entrepreneur, create some type of uh, stream of income. And I bought tons of courses, right, as far as just learning and seeing how people portray information. And it was a lot of things I saw throughout all that that I hated. I was like, one, this this group isn't being set up right. Whoever is running this is not engaging with the members and stuff like that. Or I see a course and it looks like it's put together by like a fifth grader and stuff <laughs> like that. And so I was like, I want to create for one, professional looking courses, right? And in addition to that, I want to be able to actually like teach people like the, the strategies associated with the stock market. So I see a lot of these different stock groups People will just post in a group and be like, yo, uh, Apple about to go to the moon, but like <laughs> they don't say why, right? So it's like, I've been in previous groups and I'm like, yo, can you explain like why you're saying that? And one of the like more recent, this was back like last summer, this was like last April, like a little bit after the pandemic started. I specifically remember somebody in a group saying, yo, genius brands, like, all y'all need to go into it. It was like a $2 stock or something. Yeah. Everybody in the group like went into it. Right. And as soon as I saw it, I was like, first of all, this is a pump and dump. Like dude's about to make a whole bunch of money off y'all. So I asked the dude, I was like, why, why are you investing in genius brands? Like, do you know what they do? Like, what yeah. do the numbers look like? Are they going to be around in 10 years? And he couldn't answer. And at that point I was like, no, like I got to make a change. Yeah. Right? Like I can't complain about it. I got to be able to like 
do something about it. So I left like all the groups I was a part of. I was like, yo, I'm gonna make my own specific community focused on like educating people like in the right way, right? Because yeah. a lot of people get fed a lot of BS online. And Especially that alone right is now. a yeah, misinformation is a pandemic. <laughs> it is. It is. Um, so with the project Alpha Community, right? I got to say, man, I got all my notifications on for it. And I literally get like notifications from you all throughout the day and early morning. Right. And like, you know, because I follow you on Facebook and on Instagram, like I legit see you like up late at night, like the wee hours of the morning, like working. Yeah. I, so like to those that, you know, are that will watch this later on and hear it, like if you're someone that's really, you know, looking to join a community like myself, like I was and looking, you know, to learn about, you know, stocks and investing, the Project Alpha community is so well put together, man. Like yeah. I, I go through the channels all the time and I look to see what you're posting, notifications coming in. I won't front like I know what you be talking about <laughs> half the time. But I'll be like, yo, I can't wait until I, you know, get through the course. Right. Um, like I get the notifications. It's been hitting me in my in my Gmail account. Like John, you have not completed this course yet. I'm like, man, I gotta get to it. But putting so much into what I'm trying to do, I'm like, I gotta learn that because I think it's important for us to learn that aspect of the game. Right. Mm -hmm. It's a it's it, it's a piece of it that isn't necessarily always talked about in our homes and in our communities. And even the conversations that we're having now about it, like you said, it's a lot of misinformation with it. Like when you talk about, you know, pump and dump, when you talk about crypto, like those are just like cool terms for people to use now. They don't necessarily, you know, know what they are using. So right. not only are you involved in stocks and investing, you also do life insurance as well, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's- so, um. When did you get in, when did you get into life insurance? So this was probably, whew, this might have been maybe, I forget the exact year, maybe like <clears throat> maybe like 2013 per se. Yeah. Uh, I forget the exact year, but I specifically remember why. Um, so, uh, you know, one of uh, our good frat brothers uh, by the name of Brian Rowe, uh, he crossed the same year that I did. Yep. Um, I met Viva you know, Rowe up in New York before, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. down yeah. in, down in uh, uh, Florida uh, where he crossed, right? And so... You know, he was, uh, you know, back up in New York and uh, me and my good friend, Matt King, who, who got me into life insurance game. He, he had given me a call. I'm like, yo, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And he had uh, he gave me a call. I was like, yo, uh, Brian got hit by a train. And he was like, he was like, what? Like, yeah, bro, I got hit by a train. Like, dog's dead. And yeah, so yeah, like that kind of that kind of hit home and was like, wow, like. It's not like somebody that you just don't know. It's like somebody you know, right? And so, um, you know, had to prepare and go up there for the funeral. And I'll never forget, you know, we we go up, uh, you know, at the wake and people were passing the hat, right? Wow. To pay for the funeral. And um, at that moment, I was like, never after this moment, is anybody that I know of ever going to be put in that situation, right? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, his family was not hit about life insurance, right? And so even as I started to move up to D.C., my pops, right, like, you know, the uh, parent, right, he was like, uh, you know, you need to get a life insurance policy. You need to get a life insurance policy. 
and I'm too busy blowing my money apart, right? Yeah. <laughs> so it, it wasn't until, um, you know, after Brian's funeral that I was like, all right, I need to get a policy, right? So first I get my policy and then, um, you know, uh, my good friend, Matt, who knows that I'm all into money, he was like, well, one, like, you're always about educating people. He was like, why don't you sell it? And I was like, all right, I never thought about it. Um, went, took the course and I was certified to sell life insurance, like, you know, within like a couple months. And that's an actual, like an additional way that, you know, people can make money. Like you don't got to go to college to be yeah. able to sell life insurance. You can literally be an ambitious 18 year old, get licensed in a month and find four wealthy people to get life insurance on. And you're set for the year. Right. Wow. And so that that's like thing people don't realize like there, there are some people here in the life insurance industry, they'll sell like five to six policies and they're done for the year just because it's that it big a lot of money. Right. You know yeah. what I'm saying? You may find a business owner that got a big net worth and that's all it takes. And so, um, you know, I do that like on the side It's definitely not something I do full time, but anytime I do have a conversation with people, I'm like, yo, like, are you insured? Like if you die today, are you a bill or a blessing? Like, yeah, I'm gonna be a blessing. I already know that. <laughs> you know I hope my wife ain't plotting on me, but she'll be kicked <laughs> up. Like, you know, when if that situation ever happened. But you know, it's it's always a topic that is morbid in a black community. Like, people don't talk about death, but yeah. death the only thing guaranteed, and one of the easiest ways to pass down wealth. So mm. while it's sad that you know you know, either your grandpa or your father or your son like had passed away, you know, even though you would rather want them there, it's not bad that you may get a half million dollar check that's going to mm. completely change the trajectory of like not only you, but your family, right? And so um, I always talk to prospective clients and give them a situation where, um, I won't say names, but I insured um, a, a woman based on like what she experienced right so mm. her father had been working in uh working for the state for years like decades for about 30 years and she never knew her dad had like crazy life insurance on wow. himself right so after he passes you know she gets a, a, a letter in the mail that you know her father just left her 2.5 million like in, in a policy, right? And so, game changer. Yeah, that, that's a game changer. You know what I'm saying? She went to an HBCU, had student loans. So those student loans was gone. She immediately brought uh, bought like a 10-unit apartment complex. She wow. put money into the market. So now she's getting paid quarterly. And then she insured her daughter. Like all of that happened in one full swoop. So you go from a student with, you go from somebody with student loans and is doing okay to like literally financially don't have to worry about nothing. Yeah. And so like as long as you don't blow it at the parks. Right, right. You know what I'm saying? As long as you don't, as long as you don't blow it in park, then you could. So that's like that's the other aspect that like the black community has to talk about. Like, yo, this is you know the purpose of life insurance. Yeah. And I think you know, more you brought it up already, but it's it's more of a conversation that definitely needs to happen. Um, I know I got I got policies on myself. I even took them out on my kids too, because it's like, it's an un, 
it's an unfortunate idea, but it's still something that you don't want to be unprepared for. Right. Um, you know, and it just seems like sometimes in our community, you know, we experience a lot of death, but it's like, we still don't want to talk about it. And right. it's like, like you said, it's a, I'm not going to say great because I mean, you know, death is sad, but it's a way for you to pass down, you know, fin finances and wealth, you know, to your family coming. So I just wish, you know, the same way we've had a surge and talking about, you know, stocks and investing and, you know, even mental health, things like that, that this becomes more, you know, of a conversation when we just talking about, you know, quality of life and leaving your kids in a good position, because it's a sad place to be in when someone dies and you can't bury it in a proper way, you know, right. um, and we see it happen way too often and not just with, you know, everyday people, not not just with people like us, you know, who are living humbly, um, but for, you know, people that are celebrities and making multi-million dollars, sometimes they don't even got their lives together. Um, so, you know, we see that happen a lot too. So, um, yeah, I'm going to be knocking on your door to have that, that life insurance conversation because I need to make sure my folks set up good too. Yeah, and that's one of those things, right, about <clears throat> protecting the culture, right? Like, finances protect the culture more than anything ever will, right? And so yeah. while this may cover like another topic as far as like police brutality, I truly feel that if, if the opposition knew that every black person was properly insured, mm. they would be very hesitant to act the way they do. The reason I say that is, let's just think about the last 10 people that have the, the last 10 black kids that have been murdered by police. What if they each had a $3 million policy on them, right? Mm -hmm. And the parent is now on TV and says, you know what? I just got $3 million because my son has died. Um, I'm going to put $2 million towards the campaign to get the sheriff voted out, to get the mayor voted out. And I encourage every black person in the city to pool their resources again with me. If that conversation happened every time a black kid was killed, yeah. you would see it happen less. Cause they'd be like, oh, like they actually got resources now to put yeah. us out of our positions, right? And so while it's not the end all be all answer, yeah. it would completely change the conversation very quickly, right? Yeah, cause then now you'll have those, ins those insurance, I can't find a proper term right now, but you'll have people up at the state capitals talking about laws and stuff getting changed cause yeah. now we hurt in their pockets. Mm -hmm. um, dang, it was a question I wanted to ask you to go off of that, man. Price-wise, right? Because I think sometimes in our community, we're concerned about what something like that would cost. So right. hypothetically, right? If I wanted to potentially insure someone for 500 grand, right? Just throw right. a number out there. What does that number look like per month, per year? How How is that, you know, potentially set up? What does that yeah. price tag look like? Um, so I, honestly, I hate to say it depends, but it depends. But let's just say, for instance, because there's various types of life insurance policies, yeah. right? So let's just say you want to get a, a short term, life insurance mm -hmm. policy to say, hey, I want to be insured for 30 years, right? So between now and 2051, I want to be insured. If something happens to me, my beneficiaries get a half a million dollars. For a limited time frame, you could potentially get something for like a hundred bucks a month. Mm. Like not a lot of money, right? Um, but this is how insurance companies make money. So yeah. just imagine paying a hundred dollars a month for 30 years and then nothing, nothing happens to you. 
Like yeah. they keep all that, right? <laughs> and, and so that's something to think about. However, if you're looking at like a whole life policy where it's like that policy is in place for the rest of your life, you know, I got my first policy at the age of, I believe, 24 and half million dollar policy probably going to run you about 450 bucks. Right. Um, but it can range. But like in the in the grand scheme of things for for thinking about what we spend our money on, like generally, like we got the money. Yeah, you got it. I mean, a hundred dollars a month is nothing but putting aside twenty five dollars a week, or right. you know, not not going to the club and buying two drinks that week or something right. like that. So yeah, yeah it's, it's definitely there. It's about yeah. having that that future foresight, and that's why a lot of our people don't have life insurance because they're thinking about next week, not yeah. the next decade, right? And so as we start to change that thinking, then that's when like change can happen because it'll make you want to invest when you have when you know you have a bright future some people don't think they have a future and so that's why they don't think about stuff like that they're like man i'm just trying to graduate let alone (laughs) get a policy but i mean like you said as we look to you know and and that's why it was so important for me to get to have a conversation with you because you know these are ways that we protect the culture we protect our families you know and we make sure that you know the lines that come behind us are you know better equipped you know, to be successful in their individual lives. Right. Um, it's just, a, it's, it's about just continuing to inspire change, right? And as I talk about inspire change, let's talk about aspire to inspire, right? The foundation that you got. Yeah. Um, tell us a little bit, you know, about that foundation. Well, yeah. So the, the whole reason, um, <laughs> the whole reason the organization was founded was honestly based off ignorance. And so um, <laughs> the, the funny thing at how this came about, so you know, me and some of my frat brothers, we have an annual toy drive in DC mm-hmm. where we go to an elementary school, we sponsor them and we choose a class, whether third graders, second graders, fourth graders, <clears throat> and we get them all toys, right? So, you know, we take a walk and go to uh, Five Below. We all suited and booted up, you know, like a professional. <laughs> and we show, we're like, yo, you know, we're this organization, we're having an annual toy drive. Um, we'd love to see if you would donate toys for our endeavor. Thought we was on point, right? Yeah. The the manager of the store five below looked me dead in my eyes and was like, yo, are y'all 501c3? And I was like, nah, what's that? And she was like, <laughs> I can't do nothing for you, right? And oh, like, wow. I, w- I wasn't mad at her response. Like, I was mad that like, why don't I know what a 501c3 is? Yeah. So like going right out of that conversation, I immediately got on my laptop and was like, okay, what is 501c3? Oh, it's a nonprofit organization designated by the IRS where if you donate to them, you can get a tax write-off. Like that's the whole reason like businesses donate to 501c3s is for the numbers. It's not because they care. Like yeah. be lying when they, when they <laughs> like get if they that money back. Their bottom dollar, <laughs> then they probably wouldn't donate. So yeah. that's like just something to consider. So you know, did the whole research on like, what does it take to start up a nonprofit, right? And so at the end of the day, it's not hard at all. Like it's, mm. it's just paperwork, right? Like yeah. and that's one thing for, to protect the culture, right? Black people got to know how to do their paperwork, right? Like, you can, <laughs> Don't you can cut do corners, do it the right way. Right, right. Like <laughs> your paperwork, you'll be like 10 times further than the average person, right? And so yeah. 
I literally like told six of my boys, I'm like, yo, we're going to start a nonprofit tomorrow. Like, and we're going to get this stuff taken care of. And similar to entrepreneurship, I didn't have anybody guiding me. I just figured it out. Like, yeah. okay, I got to fill out these specific forms. I got to like figure out what uh, our bylaws look like. We made a website. We, we just basically did everything as we were going. And then wow. wrote up the, the whole actual application after getting registered with DC. And then, you know, it took about four months and about $600 later. And we got what's called the golden ticket, right? And mm-hmm. the 501c3 determination letter is what we call the golden ticket in the sense of you can go to any business and they're, they're willing to give you whatever now. You know what I'm wow. saying? Obviously, you got to convince them based off your mission. But at the end of the day, they know they can give to you and get a tax write-off, right? Now, as some of the reasons you already mentioned, because I think I saw you post before, like, you know, every Black person needs to have a 501c3. Yeah. Like, you got to have it. Like, yeah. what are some some of the other reasons? I mean, you stated, like, two or three of them, but, you know, right. are those so, the main reasons? Yeah, so one of the re- main reasons is uh, just related to taxes and understanding how taxes affect your life, right? So for everybody that has a budget, taxes are your largest expense. Like you don't even see it before you get the money. They take the money, right? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> like as <laughs> long as you understand, yeah, as long as you understand how taxes work, like you will actually be giving yourself a raise every year and not even know it, right? Mm. And so uh, one thing for all the podcasters looking in, listening in, um, one thing that is very boring reading, <laughs> but is a very essential reading is not, I'm not going to give you a book, right? It's called the U.S. Code, right? So the United States Code is basically all the rules of the United States. If you ever want to learn how something is structured in the United States, you go to the United States Code, right? Mm. Within the United States Code, they have titles, right? So if you want to learn about the military, you look at Title 10, right? If you want to learn about the rules of the United States flag, you look up Title 4, right? But if you want to learn about the Internal Revenue Code, that's mm. Title 26. So Title 26. Let me write this is, down. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> title 26 is, to me, one of the most important books every Black person should read because that mm. determines how the United States can take money from you. Because remember, it's internal revenue. So yeah. how does the country bring in revenue to pay for roads, to pay for schools, to pay for public services, to pay for all these government buildings. All the rules are in Title 26. So once you understand how that's structured, that's a cheat code, pretty wow. much, right? Yeah, I'm gonna go so, check that out. And so within that, like when we talk about 501c3s, within Title 26 is section 501, subsection like C, number three. And it specifically says like organizations that are not for profit, right? you do not get taxed, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's just one of those things you should Cheat be aware code. about. So, yeah, I mean, so think yeah. about it like this, right? Um, and I'll give you a scenario, right? Not, not to say whether it's true or not, right? Let's say you and, uh, you know, two of your cousins say, you know, we're going to start a nonprofit, right? We're going to call it the Culturally Focused Foundation, right? And you have uh, specific missions that you have in place, uh, you submit all your information to IRS and you get a 501c3 determination letter. Now, you, your cousins, as well as your family, 
they can all donate to that foundation and get a tax write-off on their taxes, assuming they're itemizing their taxes, right? Yeah. Right. So then all that money is now pooled. You've all gotten the tax write-off and you decide to uh, give a scholarship per se, right? You put it on a website for a week and it just so happens that uh, your cousin's son is the only one that applied, right? And, oh, okay, based on, <laughs> you know, the, this person applying, boom, he wins a scholarship. There's no more student debt, like, in our community, wow. right? So, like, that's just, like, a small example, right? And so I'm, I'm just using that as a hypothetical example, right? <laughs> yeah, hypothetical, but <laughs> right. I'll take some notes on that one. But example. You, but you know what, dog? Um, we look and sometimes we hear like, oh, you know, not the big up. I'm, I don't even want to say his name. I was about to say somebody's name we don't need to say. Right. Um, but when we talk about politicians, right? right. When you talk about how they don't pay taxes and all these different things, it's like, why do so many people get mad with them? It's like, all they're doing is playing the game the right way. Right. And that's more what we need to do is just, you know, read Title 26. Right. Know, and, and this and is what got me. Game. And this is what got me into reading Title 26. So, you know, an article came out about five years ago uh, about a specific politician that wrote off a billion dollars over a 10 year period. Right. So I'm sitting here trying to figure out, you know, how do I get my little three, four grand uh, tax return and stuff like that. And this dude is writing off a hundred million a year. I was like, no, I'm playing the wrong game. Right. (laughs) I started doing my research and that's how I came upon Title 26. And ever since then, I read IRS publications like a lot of black people read the Bible. Like (laughs) I I, I read it all the time because it's always changing. There's always something that's that's like a gem that could help you out financially that you just need to know. And Mm. if if a lot of us actually use the rules that were written, right? That actually might change tax law, right? If, if if all the black people in the world was like, yo, we're gonna buy by the tax law, not pay taxes, it would change the tax law tomorrow. Oh, overnight. overnight. Overnight, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> now, dog, um, not only are you an entrepreneur as well, you better have your wife. She's an entrepreneur as well too, right? Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Well, she's, she's well, a better entrepreneur than me, to be honest. <laughs> here we go we got the the robinsons is getting money on all sides yeah, yeah. That. um now one one of your latest um you know endeavors is the vending machines right yeah um how is that going what really because i've heard a lot about it how is it going what made you get into get into that hustle well you know um <laughs> vending machines so like even when I was young, like I always sold candy. Like, so it's like, I've always been into that right now. Recently, it was one of those things, like we were talking about just entrepreneurship in general, like just do it. Like I had seen so many videos about it and articles. And I was like, you know what? I've done much harder things in life. I was like, I'm gonna just do it. Right. And (laughs) so just do it. I literally, uh, found a location I acted like I've been doing this for like 20 years, right? And I was like, yeah, I was like, I have a machine delivered to you, you know, ASAP, you know, we'll lock this down, get everything signed. And 
I call up a, a company up in Ohio and I'm like, yo, I need a brand new vending machine, get this joint delivered. And I was literally winging it, right? Yeah. But like within a small time frame, I learned so much and was like, yo, this industry is a gold mine. Like wow. not only is it a gold mine because it's not really a lot of work, right? Because I mean, just switching out snacks, like <laughs> it's not, it's not a lot of brain power that's yeah. used, right? But in addition to that, right, it's a it's a cash heavy industry, right? Mm. Like it's very, um, it, it's not really, uh, it, it's starting to get used to the electronic transactions, right? As far uh-huh. as using your credit card and Apple Pay. So as I've started to um, become proficient in the vending machine industry, now I know why when you go to dry cleaners and things of that sort, the Asians are like, oh, you pay cash? You pay cash? Well, yeah, yeah, I know why you're asking why you pay cash, right? (laughs) And so that's just one of those things where the the vending machine industry is like one of the only industries where you can get inside the building of almost any business, right? And so um, by the end of hopefully this month or by the end of the June, um, I will be inside about seven schools um, in a retirement home in uh, a real estate uh, business and like two IT businesses, right? Wow. And there, I can I can talk with like the owner or the general manager. I can talk with them on a first name basis because I'm yeah. the vending machine. And then that's just networking and goes to, can potentially go to a whole nother avenue. Right, right. And so um, it's just one of those things where you don't even think about like industry, but the next time you're by a vending machine, like it, it it'll like change, it'll change like your aspect if you see somebody like changing it out, right? Yeah. So um, you usually don't see people actually like changing it out when like there's a lot of people around, right? Because you could pull like a smooth like 60 bucks in cash right out the machine, right? Oh. <laughs> yeah, I think so, I'll be seeing you, uh, like I said, because I follow you, you know, I'll be seeing you riding around going to get your checks, you know, getting the money up. Yeah. You. I'm yeah. like, yeah, yeah, I see how it's going. And, and that's um, one of those things where it's like, when, when you think about it, um, those are my ATMs, to, to be completely honest, right? Yeah. So my vending machines are in secure facilities. So, wow. you know, if a person if a person breaks into a car dealership, they're not thinking about robbing a vending machine. They're thinking about stealing cars, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, about much bigger problems than this. Right, right. So... <laughs> You know, and every vending machine has some type of storage component. So if I wanted to, right, I could have a bag in, in yeah. every vending machine <laughs> if I wanted to, right? And so it, it just changes your 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 mind state when you start to get in the industry and actually learn the ins and outs of it. It's yeah. like it's, it's a completely game changer. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about the course because I know you just dropped the course. I think it went live what last Friday, yeah, we went live on the 15th. Okay. All right. So I pay attention a little bit. Um, <laughs> so what, what are people getting, you know, with the course? Like what, what are some things they can expect in that course? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, the name of the course is, you know, candy money, uh, starting your own vending machine uh, business course. And so this course is specifically for anybody that's interested in getting into the vending machine business. So you're going to learn about um, everything you need paperwork right? paperwork wise, because remember, it's all about the paperwork, right? Yeah. As far as, um, you know, getting your business started, 
what things you need to know as far as how to get a machine, right? Whether it's new or used, um, actually marketing yourself and getting in front of potential businesses to be able to lock down a site. Um, you're getting access to example contracts uh, so that, you know, you don't need to make a contract on your own. You can just use a template that we've created within the course. Um, in addition to marketing yourself, right? As far as utilizing social media, uh, different ways to get in front of businesses, as well as uh, different marketing strategies, right? So like as an example, and I've learned this from like other businesses, right? Um, where I've learned the vending machine industry, I tape a dollar bill on the back of a random bag of potato chips, right? So mm -hmm. somebody may get a bag of chips and it got a dollar on it. And they're going to put that dollar right back in the machine. And yeah. buy another product, <laughs> but yeah, they're going to come back and be like, you know, I might get another dollar. They probably wow. not, but they're going to come back and buy some more snacks, right? And so it's like small things like that to like build a reputation with your business. And so uh, with that, you know, one of the other things that is in the course is understanding how government contracts work, right? And so, well, you can get a machine in, uh, you know, a barbershop or a car dealership. Some cities, some states, some federal uh, organizations are looking for businesses to provide vending machine services. Yeah. Depending on what state you're in, figuring out uh, the portals you need to go to, where you need to register. And it's not guaranteeing, right, that you're going to get a, a government contract for vending machines, but it's going to put you in that mindset so that you're then constantly searching for opportunities because there's there's not a better feeling in the world than to get a government contract to sell chips and candy all day. Yeah. But, I saw you doing, um, you were in the government contracts like before this, right? So it's, mm -hmm. a, it's a lot of money to be made in that as well. Yeah, man, it's so much money. And, and, and that's the reason why I'm never going to move from the DC area. Like yeah. there's so much money in government contracts up here. It's ignorant. Like it's just ignorant the amount of money that, <laughs> that gets, you know, fished out to people on a daily basis. Yeah. And so um, to to put things into context, right? This isn't even tied to vending machines. Um, a website that you can go to to see the amount of money they're fishing out on a daily basis is called uh, defense.gov mm. slash contracts, right? Okay. <laughs> and so this literally is a website they post Monday through Friday and they show you the amount of contracts that have been awarded every day, right? So we're talking mm -hmm. the Air Force, the Navy, the Army, um, Defense Logistics Agency, like they'll spend like $30 million on uh, mass, right? Yeah. Right, and, and so, away. right, and it's just the crazy amount of money that they spend. So while we're too busy thinking about nine to fives, not really focused on entrepreneurship, other races are here like, you know, I'm trying to get this $30 million contract. Like what you trying to do? Right. And yeah. like that just puts us so far behind because it would take so much work to get to where they got to in one full swoop. Right. And so that's, that's, a, that's a whole nother topic, right. As far yeah. as like government contracting, but like, that's one thing to, to push people to understand within like this vending machine course is just to show you like, you don't need a college degree to make a lot of money, right? Yeah. So I always like to put 
uh, numbers on goals, right? In order to put things into context. So, you know, if you as an entrepreneur decided to start a vending machine company and you all you need is 25 machines, right? Making about 250 a month, right? If you do that, that's about 6,250 bucks, right? Yeah. You pay for a million dollar mortgage, right? Wow. And so you, you just think about that. Think about the amount of barbershops you've been to in your life. Think about the amount of car dealerships you've been to in your life. 25 in the, in the grand scheme of things ain't hard. It's not a lot. You do five a, a year in five years and mm. you're in the right spot, like, you're going to make more than $250 a month per machine, but that just puts things into context. Yeah, so, absolutely. I specifically remember a, a stand-up with Chris Rock where he was talking about, you know, I'm one of the top comedians in the world, right? And my next door neighbor is a dentist, right? <laughs> so it's like, that's one of those things where just depending on what industry you're in, like you don't got to be a rapper, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. You don't got to be an athlete to make a lot of money. You just got to have ingenuity, like yeah, figure out ways to get money and the literally like cash can just flow to you. And it's out there. And anybody yeah. that's hearing this, if you need to learn how to get money, y'all better go yeah. talk to you about it because you do consulting too. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, I do everything, you know what yeah, I'm saying? So understand, you give, you're giving a lot of gems today, but right. I don't even think we scratched the surface yeah, with, you know, everything, you know, that you're into. Um, but, you know, I do want to get some rapid fire questions to you real quick before right. we get out of here. All right. Um, so everyone, uh, Yuri, what, what's your handles for people that are going to hear this and see it? Where can they find you? You know, how can they get more information about you, what you do? And also join, you know, maybe the Project Alpha community or sign up for, you know, the um, the. I can't yeah. remember the exact term for it, but the candy um, vending machine um, business that you have. As yeah, well. yeah. So you can um, you can find me on Instagram. Um, it's literally uh, Yuri.Robinson. So U-R-I.Robinson on Instagram. Um, on Twitter, um, Yuri underscore Robinson. And so, uh, you know, you can find all my information there. I also got my website, YuriRobinson.com. And so this actually also ties into like a gem, right? Like you want to brand yourself. Right. And so like I, I brand my name. So I got all my social media tags. I got my website. So buy your name as a website before somebody else do. Right. Yeah, I'm about to do that as soon as we get off. of here. Right. Now, <laughs> right. Like that's that digital real estate, though. I, right. I saw you right. talking about that, too. You yeah. Know, yeah. Man, yo, we definitely going to have a protect the culture part, too, man, because digital real estate is a real thing. man. It's a real thing. Yeah. It's um, about. It's all about ownership. And so to, to actually get access to the courses, right, um, you can go to projectalphaacademy.com, right? And so that's going to be the dashboard where you can join the trading community. You can get access to the stock market foundation course. You can get access to the candy money vending machine course amongst all the other courses that I'm currently working on. And so, uh, you know, when we talk about uh, digital real estate, right, like my courses are no different than uh, somebody like Gucci Mane having a mixtape, right? Because yeah. he knows that mixtape going to live forever. His music going to stream forever. Like my course is going to be out there forever, right? So passive income. Yeah. So I could wake up tomorrow and 10 people bought my course, right? Yep. I put in the work early and now it just continues to work for itself. So 
Yeah, we could talk for days about this. Don't oh, no, nah, we coming back. I've already been making all the mental notes in my head. Right. Um, so I got five rapid fire questions for okay. you, right? So the first one, what are three things that Black people need to build wealth? Give me three things. So uh, the first thing, of course, is a, a life insurance policy, right, to, to build wealth. Um, the second thing is a brokerage account, right? And so that's mm. where you are just spending money to buy stocks in the stock market. So everybody should have uh, a brokerage account and be able to analyze the stock market, right? For all my basketball heads, if you can be in fantasy leagues and analyze different athletes and what they're going to do the next game, you can analyze the stock market and make mm. bread off of it, right? So that's always something to consider. Um, and I truly believe the third thing you need to build wealth is some entity of a business, right? Okay. So of course, everybody's very familiar with LLCs, you know, a limited liability company. And yep. I definitely have a lot of conversations where it's like, you know, everybody's not meant to be an entrepreneur, which is cool, right? But if you're going to get an LLC, at least get it for the tax purposes, right? Okay. So if anything, you just want to be able to utilize uh, your business for, for tax purposes. That's where Title 26 comes into play, right? Um, the, the tax code is specifically written for business owners and landowners. Yeah. And, if you don't have either one of those, then you're in trouble <laughs> from a tax perspective, right? So gotta have business. And honestly, that's low-key the fourth one, which is land, like business and land. That. You know, need that, that. That's All right. Okay. So who would you say you identify with more? Two people, either Malcolm X or MLK. Definitely Malcolm X. Um, <clears throat> yeah, definitely Malcolm X. By any means necessary. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, just because, I mean, I understand Martin Luther King's uh, vision, but at the same time, you know, people really don't talk about him saying, you know, he thinks we integrated into a burning house or bur Absolutely. burning building or something of that yeah, sort. So yeah. they talk about the peaceful Martin Luther King Jr., um, but he was getting fed up, right? He was, absolutely. And so... Uh, from that perspective, um, always, always, you know, resonate with that picture of uh, Malcolm X, you know, with the gun looking out the window. And so, you know, who's most likely the person that's going to get bullied, right? Is it going to mm -hmm. be Martin Luther King Jr. or Malcolm X? Yeah. Martin Luther King Jr., I love him, but he getting bullied first, right? Yeah. And so it's easier to be a, a warrior in a garden, mm. a gardener in a war. Right. Ooh, okay. So that's something like to think about. So it's like, yeah, I always will align with Malcolm X first. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm with you too on Malcolm X. And I love the fact that you brought up, you know, the fact that, you know, MLK was getting fed up, you know, towards the end of, you know, his short life. Mm -hmm. um, we don't got to go too in depth at it right now. But for right. those of you that, that definitely, you know, will, will listen and see this, um, definitely, you know, MLK has some things to say about, you know, integration and all that towards the end. Right. And that's probably why they took him out. But right, you know, right. You know, it's <laughs> a good, actually, a good book to read. Hold on. Wait, wait. Don't do it oh, to me yet. Okay. You know what? You know what? Go ahead. Because that, that was going to be my next question. What is <laughs> one book, you know, that black people should read? So you can give me um, that one. And if it's another one, throw that to us, too. Yeah, um, I would I would say, man, there's so many books. Only one. Um, 
You can give me two. You got. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Honestly, honestly, I'm. A, <laughs> I'm honestly gonna give you three. Plus, I'm a Trey, so it's only right that I give you three. But okay. the first first book I would say is uh, a message to the black man by Elijah Muhammad. Right. I know you got it. There you go. <laughs> hey, I got it. You know yeah, yeah, and so um, I mean that's just an awesome book um, that that honestly just gives you the tenets to what you need to survive um, in, in America. Um, it gives you an aspect. Um, man, there's so many books. Uh, the second book I would say is a book called Stolen Legacy mm. by uh, I think George James writes it, I believe. But um, you know, it's a book about how many things that are considered originated by, by, from Europeans actually originated in Africa, right? And it okay. goes as detail into various aspects of philosophy and religion and things of that sort. A really I gotta check that one out. I don't think I've read that one. Yeah, that one. no, it's, it's, a, it's a great book and it goes deep. You know what I'm okay. saying? Okay, I like um, that. The third book, I would say, honestly, man, there's so many books, but honestly, I would say Rich Dad, Poor Dad. It, okay. It, a good book um because you've got to have finances at that tied to it at the end of the day <clears throat> and uh just because it tells just two completely different stories you know what i'm saying somebody that's super educated and doing okay and then somebody who's not formally educated and got all kinds yeah. of things, right it's just like two different paths that you can take and you know it's up to you on like what you want to do and so uh that's definitely a book but man there's like so yeah, I've heard a lot about Rich Dad, Poor Dad, so I'm definitely hopping on Amazon today and going to find those, or I need to find. So you live in the DMV, the DMV. I haven't necessarily looked into it. It's kind of going, not left, but on topic. Do you know any good um, Black-owned, um, you know, shops that sell books in the area? Yeah, yeah. so there's actually, um, there's a bookstore called Mahogany Books in, okay. uh, in Southeast D.C. I forget exactly what street it's on, but... Um, yeah, no, it's it's a, a, a black owned bookstore, okay. and um, they got a good selection. Um, I ain't gonna lie, Amazon do get my money because <laughs> you know, I'll get a book in two days. But uh, hey, yeah, they try, come quick, right? So I try I'm to uh, I try to support Mahogany Books, you know, as much as possible. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, they definitely got a good selection. They got an online bookstore as well. Okay, what is what is one of your favorite quotes? Oof. Um. Honestly, scared money don't make no money. There it is. <laughs> hey, man, I fished it. I fished the blue. Hey, scared money don't make money. Yeah, I mean, yeah, because I mean, um, I, I'm actually thinking about uh, a deal I just made, right? So um, for this vending machine company, um, I'm buying 17 machines, right, at wow. 12 different locations, and I got to come up with 15 grand, right? So there's other places I could have my money put, but at the end of the day, it's an opportunity that I have a vision for. And, you know, some people would keep 15 grand in a bank and, yeah. you know, not do nothing with it. Um, I'm about to put my 15 grand to work at the end and of the day. Let it make some money for you. Right. Real quick. <laughs> I'm going to get 17 employees that don't talk back and they're mm. going to yeah, I saw you posted it. I read it. I was dying. Yo. <laughs> yeah. I was like, the scenario, okay, got it. He was like, you know, you just pull up and get you the money when you want. Just give me what you got. Right. I right. talk to you for real. Yeah. Um, and then I know we touched on it a little bit, but it's so it's so hot right now, you know, and being, you know, 
I'm going to call you a guru because you're a guru in my opinion, all right? <laughs> um, what are your thoughts on the current crypto surge? What, yeah. what are your thoughts? Because, you know, it's so many people that are doing, you know, the pump and dump, so many people saying buy the dip, do this, do that. What are your thoughts from what you see on the market without giving away, you know, well, give away what you want, but right. um, you know, what, what's your thoughts on it? So, you know, I always say invest in what you know. Right. So um, I, I invest in in things I know. Um, I do have a, a crypto portfolio. It's very small, um, to be completely honest, just because um, crypto has not gotten to the place where I personally would like it to be for me to go and fork a good amount of money into that market. Right. Yeah. Um, but I always believe in the utility of things. So, for instance, I invest in Procter and Gamble, right? Because I buy their toothpaste all the time, right? Yeah. So if you look at the back of a Crest bottle, Procter and Gamble most likely made it, manufactured it, bottled it, and shipped it, right? So yeah. I'm investing in toothpaste. Toothpaste is never going away, nope. right? <laughs> and so that's something to think about. Um, another company that I invest in heavily is a company called Realty Income, right? And the reason I invest in them is because most of the stores you go to, these large companies, they don't own the building. They're renting it for like yeah. 30 years, right? And so most likely, most Walgreens that you see, they're paying rent to realty income. And mm. the reason I like that company, one, because I know them, I look at their numbers all the time, but they cut a check on the 15th of month, every month. Wow. And so from that perspective, the more I invest into them, the bigger my monthly check is going to be. So I'm literally getting paid to do nothing. Like I'm, I'm an investor, I'm getting paid, right? Yeah. So I know those things, right? Um, from a crypto perspective, I personally put money in Ethereum, right? And the reason I do that is because of the utility of it, right? So one of the big things, and this is actually a whole nother revenue stream that we, we would talk about uh, in the future, I actually buy and sell domain names, right? So uh, from, from that perspective, I'll buy a domain, I'll spend $120 to hold it for 10 years. And if it pops, not every yeah. website domain ain't going to pop, but if it pops, I could resell it for like $1,000, right? Yeah. And so almost 10x my money to do nothing, right? But with crypto, um, under the Ethereum blockchain, people have started to create domain names that are tied to your wallet. So like when you buy it, you have it for life, right? So with usual domain names like .com, .net, .org, you got to pay yearly. Yeah. To keep it yeah. Renewed, right? And so <laughs> as an example, under like Google domains, if you find a URL that's like, you know, just something that's not premium, you got to pay $12 a year, right? So yeah. for 10 years, you're paying $120. I personally own uh, projectalpha.crypto, right? Mm. And that cost me $40 is tied to my wallet under the Ethereum blockchain for life, pretty much. I don't have to pay wow. any fees or nothing, right? Got it. Yeah. So literally every week, I got a lot of domain names in .crypto. Right? <laughs> there's no, I don't know what I'm going to use them for, but you just never know. Right? Yeah. So like as an example, um, Florida.crypto, right? I own that. So if the state of Florida has some type of, I don't know, 
I don't know what they may do, right? I mean, but that's something I would take a bet on because, I mean, at some point we know, like, you know, it's probably going to go that route at some point in some fashion. Um, I mean, so if the state wants it, they got to come talk to Yuri about it now. Right. right. And you say, we we charge it. We be give me what you got. (laughs) Right, right. And in in addition to that, um, just because, and and I'll say it because I haven't done anything with it and I might sell it at some point, but it kind of ties to protect culture, right? I own ExposeTheRacist.com, right? (laughs) You could get some bread off of that, right? Right. So you can only imagine like what, like, I need to go talk to Sean King and be like, yo, man, like take his URL and go do something with it, but you're going to have to pay your reps, right? That's what he do on a daily basis. So that's right. money right there. So it's so many things like we as black people um, make things go viral very quickly, right? Yeah. Anything we do, we make go viral. So why not figure out how to make things go viral and then buy the domain name associated with it. And then you have that for a long time that you can either potentially cash out on or like just utilize in the future, right? So yeah. It is so many ways to make money, bro. So many. And we well, we definitely are going to revisit, you know, those topics, you know, at a at a later date, you know, give give the people something to sizzle, you know, simmer on right. a little bit. But man, yo, um, I've definitely been, you know, a big fan of yours, you know, from afar, you know, watching everything that you do. Um, I love the fact with the project Alpha Community, I'll keep talking about it, you know, really because I've been exposed to it. I see the amount of work that you put in, you know, um, you definitely care about the community. You put time into the research to make sure, you know, the people that that look to you for some guidance, you know, are, are equipped with being successful. Um, you know, really looking forward to my own personal growth in it as well. Um, right. And then looking to see, you know, how, you know, the, the, the community continues to grow. I mean, um, everything you're doing right now is exactly, you know, what we talk about with protect the culture and, you know, and just doing it in your own way. You know, we talked about life insurance. We talked about, you know, the entrepreneurial stuff from the vending machines, the Aspire to Inspire Foundation. I mean, so many things. And I'm sure you got so many other things coming up as well. But, um, you know, from one black man to another, I really appreciate everything that you are doing in your own way, you know, to protect the culture on a daily, daily basis, my brother. Yeah, no, I appreciate it, man. Like always down to to rap. So you just let me know the next time we could talk for like another two hours. Hey, man, we've been we've been here for an hour and a half. And I mean, (laughs) it's a lot more we can talk about. Um, But, you know, when when outside, you know, really opens back up, I definitely, you know, find some time for us to talk, you know, face to face, you know, grow, you know, do the brush stuff that we do. Right, right. um, and build from there. But man, I appreciate you giving me your time. Um, I know you're a busy person, so um definitely appreciate that. And uh we'll definitely wrap soon. No doubt, yeah, man. Much success. All right, hold on. Do you want to uh